Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with us, as always, is Jared Riddick. Glad to be back. The, the bearded wonder. <laughs> this set of episodes that we're going to do over this week and in the following four weeks could quite possibly be one of my favorite sets of things that we're, we're doing on this podcast. It's the Gospel to the Lamanites. Uh, by Elder, is it Elder or President? At president. This point, at this it point, it was President. President Ray L. Pratt. He would be called as a seven. Uh, remember the first Council of Seventy uh, towards the end of his life. Okay. So who is Ray Pratt? Let's go. Let's start there. Ray Lucero Pratt. I think that's the. Pronunciation. I think that's how it goes. Yeah. yeah. Pratt um, is the grand one of the grandsons of Parley P. Pratt uh, by his son Helaman uh, Pratt. Just a, <laughs> an excellent name. Um, <laughs> But Real Pratt, uh, his father, uh, served in Mexico as a missionary, and later on, when he was about nine, I think, I want to say nine, uh, went to Mexico uh, to help settle one of the uh, Mormon colonies there, Latter-day Saint colonies there. And he was raised in Mexico, was able to appreciate the culture, learn the language, which would help him when he would be called in 1906 as a missionary in Mexico, and then in 1907 was called as mission president. Which is quite a yeah. That's a, what a roller junior, coaster. Junior companion to mission president. That's just an that's just an elevation. You're barely out of greenyhood. Yeah, but yeah, he served as mission president in Mexico for 23 years. Yeah, I was going to say this, his, this until took his place death in 1913 is when this yeah, this started. Yes, yeah, so he was. Uh, so he'd yeah, been yeah, a mission six, president like five years. Five at that six point. six years yeah. at this point. And um, membership, they said uh, that I've been I've read. I'll say that of the church doubled in Mexico in his early time there. Um, Mexico, as we'll hear about in these articles, has dealt with a lot of revolutions. He had to deal with several of them uh, during his tenure. At one point, having to, to, after these articles were actually published within a month or so, having to leave Mexico, the church advising him to pull out, and he would be in Salt Lake City and would do ministry among uh, uh, Mexicans in Colorado um, because there's a heavy amount of, from when we took took the territory in the Mexican-American War, there were a number of uh, people there that, suddenly found themselves living in the United States. Yeah. To do uh, settlements there, he uh, started the branch in Los Angeles. At one point, he was over all the Spanish-speaking congregations in the church. Wow. Uh, then uh, found himself as a general authority, opening up part of South America, traveled down there. And then he uh, ended up dying at a relatively young age in 1931. He was born in 1878 um, from complications, I believe, from hernia surgery. Ooh. Uh, just over the stress that had, hap- uh, that had happened with the constant moving, the constant work. Wow. And, uh, yeah. But, Not something that we hear about much today, but we don't hear about that a lot today. Yeah. Several I have been reading about several of the general authorities that in those times that died rather unexpectedly from ailments that we would not consider to be mortal uh today. Yeah. Like Abraham Cannon I was reading about died from essentially from an ear infection, seawater in his ear. Really? After swimming and died from the the infection as a result, never recovered from it. And so it was wow. really interesting to uh to see that. It's it's Artifact of a different time. Yeah. Well, we this whole series of this articles whole series is, is an artifact of a different time. Fascinating. And we ask you as you're, and we're going to remind you of this as we continue on to the series, to remember that this was written over a century ago. And there are attitudes. Well, um, there's language that's just different. Language that's just different and attitudes that, that w- would not fly today. Um, but that were actually fairly progressive by his, t- by his time. Yeah. Well, he, he, he was in Mexico. Mexico City. And he loved the people of Mexico. Loved the people there. Grew up there, experienced a lot of great missionary experiences, but there's so much that he says about it that I think today we would think... We would wince a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Just the way that it's worded. He's very... 
he is very strongly worded in the way that he speaks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why I like it. It's, it too. seems like that's kind of a lost thing nowadays. We don't hear people being able to speak that powerfully, I think. Yeah, yeah we don't. But um, anyway, so this is good. This is in 1913. What, what's happening? You say there was a lot of revolution. There is a revolution. What else is going on? There is a, a major revolution going on in Mexico at this point. There is a lot of unrest. And uh, some Latter-day Saints are being targeted um, at this point. I only know a little bit about that. I've been trying to learn more, um, some of the things that happened there. But there were murders, et cetera, yeah. that happened there. Enough for Salt Lake to have wanted to with, withdraw him, um, as, we, as I mentioned earlier. Well, and that, the reason that we're bringing all this stuff up about Mexico and his, his life experience is because this series of articles is about bringing the gospel to the Lamanites, the scriptures as they relate to the Lamanites, and it's very clearly his assertion that he is ministering to the Lamanites, or at uh-huh. least their remnant. Yeah, he uses the words Lamanite, Lamanites and Lamanitish, which we've only really seen, I think, with, with Abish um, in the <laughs> yeah. Book of Mormon. Um, but he uses that as a descriptive word there. But he felt very, very strongly about this. And he didn't just speak about it here. I've seen other articles that he published in the Liahona, the Elder's Journal. Um, I actually found a master's thesis about him. I found that just this morning, actually, from hmm. 2011, about... About his life. Uh, well, he was mentioned as... It was about the bringing the gospel to the Lamanites and that okay. effort among the Latter-day Saints, and he featured rather heavily. Uh, he's referred to as the father of the Mexican mission by many people. And so... Yeah, well, if you're there for 20-something years... Yeah, you're there. I would imagine you established quite a legacy. So that's kind of the background on the articles in general, in the sense that we, we are going to do five different parts, but within those parts... It kind of has subparts, subheadings. Let's dive a little deeper into part one here Mm -hmm. and some of the topics that we're going to address. And I think this is kind of foundational. It is. Uh, The the following weeks will build upon the the nature of the information that he's establishing here in part one. Um, It's kind of like the scriptural Lamanites. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's setting out the history with Nephi and Lehi and Laman and Lemuel. Yeah, he kind of goes from the beginning, if, if we can, of this story arc. He, he comes all the way back to Nephi and, and their relationship. But in this whole thing, he takes it all the way to the end of the Book of Mormon as well. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, it feels like he's kind of saying, here's how they're talked about. Here's some of the prophecies about them. And here's some of the little things that we need to keep in the back of our minds as we're, we're going to go talk about the rest of this. What exactly stood out to you at this point as far as the first, first part that is, is worth making note of for the listeners as we go through a reading of it? One thing that's, that kind of stood out to me, and it's kind of a 19th century attitude that's carried over into the early 20th century, is the idea that they were in, that he says the Lamanites were in constant warfare. Yeah. Um, from the end of the Battle of Camorra on to when Columbus stumbled across them. We, we know today that's, that's not quite true. There was, as you'd expect, a great deal of tribal warfare. But there was also a lot of peace and architecture and building and discoveries. And things we're seeing now... Um, he's, since he's specifically talking about Mesoamerica, focusing on Mexico and Guatemala, the things we're discovering now is their civilization rivaled any uh, in Europe. Uh, as in far ter- as? In terms of sophistication. Okay. And knowledge of astronomy, et cetera. They were incredible people. So we shouldn't just think of them as a warlike people. We should remember the other positive things as well that, that we're continuing to learn. Well, it's, I think his, part of his plan his purpose in writing this is to first establish who the Lamanite people are mm-hmm. and then go through in the further or in the next couple of weeks, we're going to go over our relationship with those people and how our relationship to them 
kind of is an example of maybe how our relationship to the Book of Mormon is. I mean, he's very, he asserts a lot of, of very bold things. And the ending of this article is essentially going to take us into where you said Columbus was coming. Mm-hmm. And so that'll be week number two. And part number two, we'll kind of start about the Euro- European influence. So here it is now, uh, part one. And we shouldn't mention that this is actually uh, printed in the Improvement Era. Yes. Um, so this is from an official church publication. Yep, and it was uh, in five parts throughout that year. Yeah. In 1913. So enjoy, because this is awesome stuff. Hope you love it. The Gospel to the Lamanites by Ray L. Pratt is published in the Improvement Era in 1913. Part 1. Introduction. The subject at hand is so intimately connected with the great Latter-day work known as Mormonism and forms such a prominent part of the Book of Mormon teachings that one would think that most of the members of the church would be perfectly familiar with and enthusiastic over it. And such is the case in a general way. But I fear, and that too, basing my belief on observations I made while on a recent trip through some of the stakes and wards of Zion, that far too many of our young folks and for that matter of the older members of the church, are not as familiar with and as interested in this great subject as is their privilege to be. I hope in this article to show that the work of carrying the gospel to the Lamanites is one of great importance and one that is worthwhile to us as well as to them, one rather to be desired than avoided, and one that must be performed by us because the Lord has promised these people through their forefathers that the gospel and their redemption through it would come to them through us, through the Church of Christ. Part 2. Who are the Lamanites, and how came they to be such? In 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 4, Book of Mormon, we read, For it came to pass in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, my father Lehi having dwelt at Jerusalem in all his days, and in that same year, there came many prophets prophesying unto the people that they must repent, or the great city of Jerusalem must be destroyed. We learn from 1 Nephi chapter 5, verse 14, that Lehi was a descendant of Jacob through his son Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. Lehi lifted up his heart in mighty prayer in behalf of his people, and as a result of his prayer, he received a wonderful and mighty vision from the Lord, in which he foresaw the destruction of Jerusalem and her people carried away into captivity. After he had received this vision, he went forth among the people, and testified unto them of their wickedness and abominations, and also of the things that he had seen and heard. But he was only mocked and persecuted by the Jews, and they sought to take away his life. Nephi records in 1 Nephi chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 that the word of the Lord again came unto his father as follows, For behold, it came to pass that the Lord spake again unto my father, yea, even in a dream, and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Lehi, because of the things which thou hast done, and because thou hast been faithful and declared unto this people the things which I have commanded thee. Behold, they seek to take away thy life. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. And it came to pass that he was obedient unto the word of the Lord, wherefore he did as the Lord commanded him. And it came to pass that he departed into the wilderness, and he left his house and the land of his inheritance, and his gold, and his silver, and his precious things, and took nothing with him, 
save it were his family and provisions and tents, and departed into the wilderness. This departure of Lehi and his family out of the land of Jerusalem occurred six hundred years before Christ. His family consisted of his wife Sariah and his four sons, Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and Nephi. They were afterwards joined by Ishmael and his family, and Zoram, the servant of Laban. Their history, as recorded in the Book of Mormon, shows that the two older sons, Laman and Lemuel, were rebellious unto their father and unto the Lord, and did not keep the commandments of the Lord. While Sam and Nephi were obedient sons and faithful in their observance of the commandments of the Lord, early trouble arose between Nephi and his two older brothers, and on many occasions, because of their great wickedness, they even sought to take away his life. Their conduct caused great anguish in the heart of Nephi, and he was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. And he cried unto the Lord in their behalf. And the word of the Lord came unto him as follows, in 1 Nephi chapter 2, verses 19-24. through 24. Blessed art thou, Nephi, because of thy faith, for thou hast sought me diligently with lowliness of heart. And inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper, and shall be led to a land of promise, even a land which I have prepared for you, yea, a land which is choice above all other lands. And inasmuch as thy brethren shall rebel against thee, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And inasmuch as thou shalt keep my commandments, thou shalt be made a ruler and a teacher over thy brethren. For behold, in that day they shall rebel against me. I will curse them even with a sore curse, and they shall have no power over thy seed, except they rebel against me also. And if it so be that they rebel against me, they shall be a scourge unto thy seed, to stir them up in the ways of remembrance. From the foregoing quotations, we see that all that has happened to the Lamanites was plainly foreseen and foretold when they were scarcely started on their way to the promised land. In fact, all of the conditions that have existed throughout their history and that still exist among them were plainly foretold by the prophets of the Lord and are recorded in the Book of Mormon. The history of the travels of Father Lehi and his family through the wilderness and the building of a ship in which to cross the mighty waters that separated them from the land of promise, and which they built in obedience to the commandment of the Lord, and in accordance to the pattern and model given to Nephi by him, and then their long and perilous journey over the mighty waters to the promised land, their landing there, and the establishing of themselves in the land, the great visions received from the Lord by Lehi and his faithful son Nephi, and the remarkable way in which the hand of the Lord was over them, to guide and protect them, is all very interesting history, but space will not permit us to follow it in detail here. It will be seen, however, by a careful perusal of this remarkable and interesting history, that the two older sons of Lehi, Laman and Lemuel, and the daughters of Ishmael, whom they took to wife, and the sons of Ishmael were often rebellious and disobedient, even to the extent of wanting and trying to take the life of their younger brother Nephi who, because of his faithfulness and obedience to his father's counsel, and to the commandments of the Lord, was greatly blessed of the Lord. He was permitted in fulfillment of a promise to become a teacher and a ruler over his brethren. At times, through great manifestations of the power of the Lord, these rebellious sons were made to feel his power and humble themselves, repenting of their sins. But their repentance and humility were always short-lived and they continually fell back into their condition of error and rebellion, and consequent state of darkness of mind. This division in the family of Lehi grew worse after a little colony was established in the Promised Land, even to the extreme that it was impossible for Nephi 
and those who listened to his counsel, and who lived in accordance with the commandments of the Lord, to live with their brethren of the other faction in the land where they first settled. Nephi himself describes the conditions thus in 2 Nephi chapter 5. Behold, it came to pass that I, Nephi, did cry much unto the Lord my God because of the anger of my brethren. But behold, their anger did increase against me, insomuch that they did seek to take away my life. Yea, they did murmur against me, saying, Our younger brother thinks to rule over us, and we have had much trial because of him. Wherefore now let us slay him, that we may not be affected more because of his words. For behold, we will not have him to be our ruler, for it belongs unto us, who are the elder brethren, to rule over this people. Now I do not write upon these plates all the words which they murmured against me, but it sufficeth me to say that they did seek to take away my life. And it came to pass that the Lord did warn me that I, Nephi, should depart from them and flee into the wilderness. And all those who were with me did take upon them to call themselves the people of Nephi. And I, Nephi, did take the sword of Laban, and after the manner of it did make many swords, lest by any means the people who were now called Lamanites should come upon us and destroy us. For I knew their hatred towards me and my children, and those who were called my people. And behold, the words of the Lord had been fulfilled unto my brethren, which he spake concerning them, that I should be their ruler and their teacher. Wherefore, I had been their ruler and their teacher according to the commandments of the Lord, until the time they sought to take away my life. Wherefore, the word of the Lord was fulfilled, which he spake unto me, saying, that inasmuch as they will not hearken unto thy words, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And behold, they were cut off from his presence. And he caused a cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like unto flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceeding fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. And thus saith the Lord God, I will cause that they shall be loathsome unto thy people, save they shall repent of their iniquities, and cursed shall be the seed of him that mixeth with their seed, for they shall be cursed even with the same cursing. And the Lord spake it, and it was done. And because of their cursing which was upon them, they did become an idle people, full of mischief and subtlety, and did seek in the wilderness for beasts of prey. Thus came about the division of the family of Lehi into two factions which grew into two numerous and mighty nations upon this continent. And from the foregoing, we learn that the Lamanites, although a cursed nation, are of the house of Israel through Lehi, who was a literal descendant of Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, and that their curse and their present condition came upon them in fulfillment of prophecy, and because of their disobedience to the Lord and his commandments, and of their hardening their hearts against him. It is interesting to note, through reading the history of the Lamanites, as contained in the Book of Mormon, how literal the prophecies of the Lord made concerning them have been fulfilled. Their descent from a civilized and a white and exceeding fair and delightsome people into a dark and loathsome and a filthy people, full of idleness and all manner of abominations, was indeed very rapid. However, the Nephites did not cease to strive to convert their brethren from the error of their ways, and to restore them to the truth and thereby redeem them from their fallen condition. But it seems that for many years their efforts in this direction were in vain, for the Lamanites not only refused to listen to and obey their teachings, but they sought to destroy the records which Lehi had brought from Jerusalem, and also to destroy the people of Nephi who were striving to live in accordance with the commandments of the Lord. The prophet Enos, in his short writings, after telling of the great desires of his heart for the redemption of his brethren, the Lamanites, says, 
or at the present our strugglings were vain in restoring them to the true faith, and they swore in their wrath that if it were possible, they would destroy our records and us, and also all the traditions of our fathers. And I bear record that the people of Nephi did seek diligently to restore the Lamanites unto the true faith in God. But our labors were vain, their hatred was fixed, and they were led by their evil nature that they became wild and ferocious and a bloodthirsty people, full of idolatry and filthiness, feeding upon beasts of prey, dwelling in tents and wandering about in the wilderness with a short skin girdle about their loins and their heads shaven, and their skill was in the bow and in the scimitar and the axe. And many of them did eat nothing save it was raw meat, and they were continually seeking to destroy us. Their condition, through all the ages from then till now, has remained practically the same. True it is that through the teachings of the Nephites, many of them have been converted to the truth, and the sore curse that was theirs has been removed, because of their change from an evil to a good life. But this only further proves that the promises of the Lord cannot fail, because he said the curse was only to remain with them as long as they remained disobedient, and wicked, and would not listen to the commandments of the Lord and obey him. At no time in their history, however, is it recorded of them that all of them have turned from their evil ways, and that the curse has been lifted from them as a people, except for the two hundred years which preceded the coming of Christ to the people upon this continent, and the establishment of his gospel among them. Of this time spoken of, we are told in 4th Nephi chapter 1, that in the thirty-sixth year after the birth of Christ, the people were all converted to the Lord upon the face of the land, both Nephites and Lamanites, and there were no contentions among them, and every man did deal justly with one another. But, as I have said, this condition did not endure among them. Men began to be lifted up in the pride of their hearts, and to forget their God, and cease to keep his commandments. Class distinctions, secret societies, man-made churches, and wars and strife and bloodshed, and all manner of evil, began to creep in among them. Part of the people remained true to their faith in their God and in his gospel, but many were led away by false teachers into all manner of iniquity, insomuch that in the two hundred and thirty-first year there was a great division among the people, and they began to be known again by the names that distinguished them of old. Those who remained faithful were called Nephites, and those who turned away into evil paths and to false religions were called Lamanites. The curse of old came upon the Lamanites, and the old and terrible spirit of hatred and strife and bloodshed came between the two peoples, and there began to be wars and bloodshed in the land. Nephi saw in prophetic vision, even before he and his father and his brethren had reached the promised land, that these conditions would overcome his seed and the seed of his brethren, for not only did the Lamanites become a wicked people, but not long after the division of these people just spoken of, the Nephites also became a wicked people and forsook their God. Nephi relates the vision he saw as follows in 1 Nephi chapter 12, verses 19 through 23. And while the angel spake these words, I beheld and saw that the seed of my brethren did contend against my seed, according to the word of the angel. And because of the pride of my seed and the temptations of the devil, I beheld that the seed of my brethren did overpower the people of my seed. And it came to pass that I beheld and saw the people of the seed of my brethren, that they had overcome my seed and they went forth in multitudes upon the face of the land. And I saw them gathered together in multitudes, and I saw wars and rumors of wars among them. And in wars and rumors of wars I saw many generations pass away. And the angel said unto me, Behold, these shall dwindle in unbelief. And it came to pass that I beheld, after they had dwindled in unbelief, they became a dark and loathsome and a filthy people, 
full of idleness and all manner of abominations. This great climax spoken of by Nephi, culminating in the extinction of the Nephites as a race, and at their hands of their brethren the Lamanites, took place in the year 420 after Christ, and 387 years after the establishment of the true gospel among the people of this land, by no other persons than the Christ himself. And the Lamanites went forth in multitudes upon the face of the land, and having overcome all other enemies, continued to satisfy their thirst for blood by wars and butcheries among themselves. And in this condition they remained until the discovery of America by the Europeans, and in a measure to the present day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rare Possessions Podcast. This has been a presentation of The Gospel to the Lamanites, written by President Ray L. Pratt in the Improvement Era in 1913. Stay tuned for the next episode in this series by subscribing to us in iTunes or in SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. Thank you.